Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's sermon was given by Associate Pastor Henry Coates. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Good morning. Our scripture reading today is from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 2, verses 13 through 23, in the New Testament sections of our Red Bibles on page 2. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. Gracious God, give us humble, teachable and obedient hearts that we may receive what you have revealed and do what you have commanded. Since we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth, make us hungry for this heavenly food that it may nourish us today in the way of eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, the bread of heaven. Amen. Matthew 2, verse 13. After the wise men had left the child Jesus and his mother, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was fulfilled what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated, and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the, pro the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing with loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up. Take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who are seeking the child's life are dead. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in the place of his father, he was afraid to go there. After being warned in a dream, he went away to the district of Galilee. 
There he made his home in a town called Nazareth, so that what had been spoken to the prophets might be fulfilled. He will be called a Nazarene. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So good morning, everyone. Our sermon this morning revolves around a silent man who made some very loud choices and a loud man who made some deadly choices. Joseph is at times the forgotten man of Christmas. Mary carried the baby. Jesus is the baby. But Joseph is a guy who just doesn't say much. Actually, in all four of the Gospels, it's not recorded that Joseph speaks even once. There's no recorded saying of Joseph. In the passage we just heard a few moments ago, Joseph didn't speak, at least with words. He had several choices, though, he had to make. Choices that would have severe consequences for himself, for Mary, and for humanity. If you were here at the 11 p.m. Christmas Eve service, which really was fantastic this year, I, my thanks to all who participated, you heard the story of how Joseph found out that his wife-to-be, Mary, was pregnant. It's a scandal, to quote the song Billy Jean, because the kid is not his son. And Joseph would have been within full right to have Mary stoned for adultery, according to the traditional interpretations of the law of Moses. She was pregnant, but with not with, her, with not with her husband's child. But Joseph wasn't going to have Mary stoned, no. Joseph was a righteous man, so he was going to spare Mary shame and take it upon himself, divorce her quietly, but then Joseph had a dream. In the Bible, Joseph doesn't say words, he has dreams. And in this first dream, the angel tells him to marry Mary. The angel tells Joseph that the child to be born is from God. And Joseph will name him Jesus, God saves, because Jesus will save God's people. This baby, according to the dream, is Emmanuel the promised one, God with us. Joseph made a choice. Joseph was told of a promise, and he chose to believe it. And what he believed led to what he did. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. He watched over the baby after it was born, and he gave him a name. Jesus. And then he, Joseph, assumed responsibility for the safety of this boy and his mother, accepting Jesus as his own son. And his world was turned upside down because of the choice he made. The baby was born. The wise men came. And then another dream perhaps a more disturbing 
dream. Get up. Take the child. Take his mother. And run. Herod is coming. And he's got murder on his mind. After Jesus was born, Matthew's gospel records that King Herod was so troubled by the news of a potential rival, of a rumor of a newborn king of Israel born in Bethlehem, that Herod ordered a preemptive strike, executing all boys in Bethlehem under two years of age. Since its earliest centuries, Christians have remembered these holy innocents who were murdered because Jesus' coming posed a threat to those in power. Today, actually, in the church calendar is the feast of the holy innocents. We remember them this morning. I find it especially moving that we had a baptism this morning. Herod heard of the coming of the king, of the Messiah, and he rebelled. He rebelled against God and tried to have God killed. Because that's what unredeemed power does. It seeks to destroy that which threatens it. But Herod could not kill God. Instead, he killed innocent children. Power always lashes out at those who challenge it. The Presbyterian Confession of 1967, in its section, The Sin of Man, defines sin like this, and it sounds very much like Herod. In sin, men claim mastery of their own lives, turn against God and their fellow man, and become exploiters and despoilers of the world. They lose their humanity in futile striving and are left in rebellion, despair, and isolation. We sin. Herod sinned. So perhaps we can see what's going on with Herod. He is a man who rejects God and gives into sin, but we are still left with the massacre of the innocents. You can't explain away this passage. It's not a fun passage to preach, folks. I just want to tell you the truth. Christmas was just like four or five days ago. I don't want to get up here and tell you that, that, that soon after Jesus was born, because of that birth, kids died. I don't want to do that, and you don't want to hear that. But it's in the Scripture, and it's there for a reason. We can't explain away this passage. The innocent dead demand that we don't. Now we Christians know that in the end, God will win. But right now, right now, the Herods of the world rage against the coming of the kingdom of God. And the innocents suffer. We see this every day. But we also see the consequence of Joseph's choice to become a refugee, to leave his homeland and run to a foreign land to escape political violence. How? 
Because Joseph's choice kept Jesus alive. There was a New York Times op-ed on this very passage just the other day by a guy named Esau Macaulay, a professor at Wheaton College not too far away from here. The op-ed is entitled, The Bloody Fourth Day of Christmas. The Bloody Fourth Day of Christmas. I invite you to read it. And if you do look it up online, I invite you to glance and study the accompanying illustration of a mother hiding her child. In this op-ed, Professor Macaulay makes a vital point why the church calendar commends us to remember the holy massacred massacred innocence on this day. I quote, The church calendar calls Christians and others to remember that we live in a world in which political leaders are willing to sacrifice the lives of the innocent on the altar of power. We are forced to recall that this is a world with families on the run, where the weeping of mothers is often not enough to win mercy for their children. More than anything, the story of the innocent calls upon us to consider the moral cost of the perpetual battle for power in which the poor tend to have the highest casualty rate. End quote. Joseph had a dream where an angel told him to become a refugee. And then he woke up and he had a decision to make. He can't make decisions in dreams. Once dreams come to an end, a choice has to be made. Joseph had a decision to make. What was he going to do? No matter what he did, he was going to decide something that would bring hardship into his life, to make his life more difficult. He either stay in Bethlehem and continue raising his family while risking Herod's wrath, or uproot his family and flee into a foreign land just because a dream told him to. Because of a dream. How many of us would change our life because a dream invited us to? Sometimes we forget that Joseph did not ask that his wife, Mary, be impregnated by the Holy Spirit. He was asked by God to deal with the consequences of Mary's unexpected pregnancy and promised that things would work out in the end. Joseph was asked to sacrifice for the kingdom of God. Joseph led his family into exile, into the unknown. We all know, all of us know, that heading into unknown territory is scary. It's frightening to take a leap of faith into the dark. Joseph could have said no. He did not need to take that leap of faith. But Joseph didn't say no, no. Joseph trusted God. When Dr. Amy Peeler was with us just a few weeks ago doing, during our Sunday School Adult Education Hour, she said something that I never considered before and something that has haunted me 
ever since. She pointed out that Herod had killed all the children under the age of two residing in Bethlehem. Under the age of two. That's because Jesus was about two when his family was forced to become refugees. That means that all of Jesus' little playmates were killed. Mary and Joseph knew their mothers. They knew their fathers. They knew those kids. They were their kids. Because he didn't raise kids in isolation back in those days. It took a village. They knew the innocents. They had to live with that knowledge, with that horror, as they lived in the equivalent of an Egyptian refugee camp. Now why, why do we tell this story? Why is it here? It's not because I want to depress you all heading into the new year. That's, that's not my job. My job is to point to Christ. To quote Esau Macaulay again, how can such a bloody and sad tale do anything other than to add to our despair? The answer is this. The Christmas story must be told in the context of suffering and death because that's the only way the story makes any sense. Where else can one speak about Christmas other than in a world in which racism, sexism, classism, ageism, materialism, and the devaluation of human life at all ages are commonplace? People are hurting. And the epicenter of that hurt, according to the Feast of the Holy Innocents, according to Matthew's Gospel, remains the focus of God's concern. Rabbi Irving Greenberg once observed that no statement, theological or otherwise, should be made that would not be credible in the presence of burning children. He says that, of course, after the Holocaust. The church finds our voice, when we remember that God, with the coming of Jesus, has brought down rulers from their throne, but has lifted up the humble, as the Gospel of Luke puts it in the words of Mary's Magnificat. Joseph made a choice. I wonder, what choice will we make? Week after week, we hear told the promises of God here at church. Whether you're a, a longtime member here, whether uh, you're a first-time visitor just here for the holidays, I, I want to take a guess that you have heard the promises of God spoken. Are we just going to sit here and talk about God in this coming new year? Or are we going to live like Joseph as though the promises of God were true, as though the coming of the Christ child actually matters to us and impacts how we live our lives. We Christians can be really good at talking about our faith. God invites us to stop simply talking and make the decision to live 
for him. What would it look like in our lives if we made a decision to trust God and to trust in the promises that God has made to us? The world would be turned upside down. It would be like, it would be like accepting an unwed mother into our own family and loving her as our own wife, our own wife, and raising her son as our own. It would be like getting up and leaving your home to head into exile, to head into a strange place, because it is there that God has called you to go. It is like a church not knowing what its future might be, but knowing that God is present all the while, and so is acting on faith. How do we do this? We do this by trusting that God keeps God's promises. We do this by trusting that God's Spirit is doing something new in this world, calling us to something new, just like he called Joseph. But Joseph could have said no. We can say no to God. But like Joseph, we can also trust God and walk forwards towards a strange land, Egypt, whatever our Egypt may look like, where God is calling us to go. So as we walk towards Egypt, looking for the promises of God, our eyes open for the kingdom, we trust. We trust God. Although we may be afraid, we trust in God and in his promises. As we walk into the new year of 2020, saying goodbye to what for so many people was a horrible 2019, may we do so with the confidence of Christians, knowing that because of Jesus Christ, he who is Emmanuel, God is with us no matter what. Keep walking, my friends. Keep walking. God will make a way. This is the good news of the gospel. Thanks be to God.